Every career is a journey. Every leader has a story. Welcome to Journey to the Energy C-Suite, where we look at the strategies and techniques that turn solid leaders into top executives. This is your place to hear practical wisdom and guidance from real people who know what it takes. With your host, Ryan Sanford. Hey again, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Journey to the Energy C-Suite. I am your host, Ryan Sanford. And it's great to be back with you again today. I'm really excited about today's conversation. Uh, I'm going to be speaking with an executive coach and chemical engineer. He's a 15-year oil and gas veteran who's also the host of his own podcast called The Energy Detox. He's also the founder and executive coach at Witting Partners. He is Joe Sinnott. Joe, thanks for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure, Ryan. Very happy to be here. Good to have you. And if people who uh, people who follow me on LinkedIn have probably heard of you before, or they follow some of the other hosts on the OGGN network. I know you've uh, you've been gracious enough to join some of the other podcasts, and I think you've collaborated on some articles as well with, with Stephen Forrester, who does some writing with us. Um, thank you for making time to join us. Uh, first of all, but we, I have a lot of things I want to get to with you because um, you you do some fascinating work with leaders across the industry. You've got perspectives on a lot of the key topics going on in the industry. But for folks who don't know, tell us a little bit about the work that you do with your company, Winning Partners. Uh, sure. So Winning Partners, I guess I could start with the name. The origins of it are you know, winning in terms of being conscious. So I help leaders in the energy industry uh, avoid unwittingly you know, limiting their odds of success or limiting their odds of their company's success or their team's success, whatever the case might be. So you know, I am there as a conscious, committed partner to leaders in the energy industry, and I provide one-on-one -on -one coaching, uh, keynotes, workshops, all focused on the energy industry, all based on energy industry themes, and you know, all with the intention of helping those leaders make better decisions, faster decisions, more confident decisions, which of course, again, saves time, saves energy, and and saves money. So, you know, that's that's the 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 goal of winning partners. That's the the goal of what I do, and. You know, the probably the biggest distinction is that I'm able to leverage that energy industry background that I had, having you know been in these roles and having served different parts of the energy industry, and you know able to combine that with more traditional again executive coaching, leadership coaching, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know to really provide a unique product for leaders. So again, they can you know think more clearly and make better decisions. So winning better than unwitting, uh, that's 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 the bottom line with winning partners, right? <laughs> Typically, I mean, obviously there's there's the counter to that, which is ignorance is bliss, but um, from a sustainability standpoint, uh, typically being ignorant doesn't get you too far. And, and again, that's another big theme of what I do is is leadership sustainability. So, yes. you know, a lot of the companies in our space, of course, are focused on, you know, corporate responsibility and, and corporate sustainability. But, you know, the focus here is on individual sustainability, you know, uh, personal sustainability and, you know, the career sustainability that a lot of people are seeking. The work you do, it actually brings you to a number of different places. One of the places that it brought you to recently was Houston, where I live. Uh, I know you were here in person for the OTC conference and for the NAPE conference uh, just a couple of weeks ago. I would be interested because uh, I was only at, I didn't get to go to NAPE. I was only at OTC for one day because of some things that happened uh, <laughs> unexpectedly in my family that week. But um, I know you were there at, at both conferences. I, I would be interested to uh, to hear you know what what were the topics on everyone's minds you had a chance to talk with a lot of different leaders a lot of different folks from all parts of the industry during that week you know share with me some of the themes that you heard yeah one of the the themes that I'm sure you heard at OTC was obviously you know all things energy transition 
So it was nice having conversations with folks, especially at OTC from a technical standpoint, obviously. Um, but then also moving over to NAPE, you know, more generally about the impacts of the energy transition, specifically in terms of the strategy of different companies. So one thing I heard a lot uh, more so at the, on OTC was just how, you know, some of the, the service providers are trying to shift gears and trying to align themselves with the messaging of the energy transition and, you know, some of the consternation that it's causing within companies, especially some of these global companies uh, where, you know, the individual focus of a specific office or country, you know, might be different from somewhere else and, and might not completely align with, you know, uh, what, what corporate is saying and, and what their intentions are. So I, I, that was one thing. Uh, two other themes that, that cut across both conferences were uh, consolidation, certainly, you know, the impacts of mergers and acquisitions and some of the, you know, the angst that that's causing individual employees, you know, many of which are sent to these conferences to, to represent their companies. Mm. Um, and then in turn, obviously the leaders who are tasked with, you know, leading these companies through uh, the consolidation and some of the identity crises that can occur when you're, you're blending different companies and different cultures. Uh, and then the third theme for sure was just, wow, we're here in person, networking, communicating, you know, face to face, and just how you know, really enjoyable it was for folks. Uh, despite the lower attendance, it was very clear that people were, were happy to be there, happy to engage, happy to look people uh, you know, in the eyes and, and have a nice, normal human conversation. So, um, you know, there was a lot of conversation about the ability to have conversations in person. And then obviously, you know, kind of shifting into my world, you know, how the lack of those conversations at times within companies and, you know, the last 18 months uh, has undoubtedly, uh, in many cases, hurt things. Obviously, there's been some improvements in communication, but, um, but you know, by and large, you know, people really see the downside of not having as much face-to-face -face time with folks. Um, so those were the three, you know, probably the three biggest themes that I picked up on during my time down there. Yeah. One of the things you and I have talked about recently too, is because you do a lot of executive coaching work, you work with very senior leaders and organizations to help them uh, be more sustainable in their leadership. And, uh, you know, so, and I've been in the, I've been in the leadership coaching world for a long time myself, and I've seen uh, companies that, that, that take different approaches. Some companies tend to use executive coaches like yourself um, in a more reactive way. Someone's, someone's uh, having, having a problem. And so we need to call in the professionals. We need to call in Joe to come in and coach this guy up or coach this girl up and, and help them fix this issue. Um, and then there are other companies who are far more proactive. They're thinking about how can they proactively develop uh, this leader um, to m help them get ready for a more um, a more strenuous role, a higher level role, a different kind of assignment um, when there is no real issue that we're trying to fix in the moment. Mm -hmm. I know you have a perspective on this. Why don't you share that with us? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, first of all, it, as you point out, there's definitely a spectrum. Um, and, yeah. you know, some companies are on the extreme, some are in the middle, uh, sometimes where they land in terms of, you know, proactive coaching versus reactive depends on culture, depends on budget, depends on, you know, obviously leadership and, and what they think is necessary. Um, but in terms of my perspective, I wouldn't be in coaching. I wouldn't have made the transition from you know 15 years of of more traditional energy industry roles into this new world if I hadn't experienced the proactive coaching that you know my former employee decided to invest in. And you know, in my case, fortunately, I knew going into it that you know when they decided to give me a coach to work with, you know, I knew it wasn't because I had done something wrong, or at least I, I felt pretty confident that I hadn't done something wrong and it wasn't out of, you know, them being reactive. It was again, to help me 
know, lead my team in a more sustainable, more effective manner. And I was able to do that. And, um, and I'll say this too, this was 2017 and it was early in the year when they hired the coach to, to work with me. And 2017 wound up being probably one of the most intense years, both professionally and personally. So to have that coach, you know, essentially in my back pocket and to be able to work with him and, and come up with some strategies was huge. Uh, you know, as I, one, my, my team wound up expanding, I wound up doubling, I think from 25 people to 50 people during that year. There was lots of gyrations from a leadership standpoint within the company, new roles and responsibilities, absorbing teams that I had no real familiarity with in terms of the individual people or what they were doing. On the personal side, my father wound up getting diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer and, you know, going through that six week process, which ultimately, unfortunately led to his death. But during those six mm. weeks, you can imagine the, the ability to lean on these, you know, these, these lessons, these frameworks from this coach. And as you're dealing with, you know, doctors and, and other people that are providing support and service, there was pretty intense period was, was huge. So, you know, the intensity of that, the intensity of, again, back at work, going through a, an $8 billion acquisition and then a merger. Again, I can go on and on, but you can imagine how great it felt to already be engaged with a coach, to already have that resource, to already be able to lean on that. And there's no question that I became a better leader within the company. And then even, you know, a more effective, you know, husband, father, son. Uh, and, and again, I mean, I could go on for hours about it, but yeah. I saw firsthand the benefits that far exceeded whatever the company invested, uh, you know, in that coach. Um, you know, I saw it. Now, conversely, uh, and again, you could probably know where I'm headed here. You're not going to get as much bang for your buck if you're bringing in a coach, you know, from a from a reactive standpoint, and for a couple reasons. One, because the person being coached typically has some sense that um, it's because. Again, either A, they did something specific that triggered them to bring in a coach. And, and I get, you know, lots of people, um, typically from an HR standpoint, sometimes, you know, uh, you know, the leader of a company reaching out and saying, hey, you know, do you work with these types of situations? And, and usually they'll let on that somebody said something or did something. Um, and, you know, usually that person has some sense of, of maybe what they did wrong. Or if they don't have that sense and, and maybe they suspect it, you know, they still might not be fully on board and they might be defensive. And what, you know, what do you expect? You're not going to get as much value out of it. Um, so again, I, I've seen firsthand the benefits of being proactive. I've seen firsthand the, the benefits of, of being reactive. Um, there's value in both situations, but again, the, the best analogy is, is like the maintenance on a car, right? Much better if you can get ahead of things and you do your oil changes and, and okay, maybe a light comes on and, and then you bring it straight to the, you know, you can bring it straight to the mechanic and get things figured out, or you can wait for the light to be on for a couple months and then you're asking for trouble. Um, and it's really no different with uh, bringing in a resource like a coach. Uh, the sooner you can get on top of things, the better. Yeah. And some companies do have internal resources uh, that they can leverage for coaching. Uh, my experience, what I've seen is that that typically ends up being more performance coaching. Um, not, not a lot of companies have folks with, um, you know, real executive coaching backgrounds on staff. If they do, it's, it's, it's a minimal number of people and uh, that their capacity to support individual leaders is, is pretty small um, compared to external. Um, I wonder if you could share your perspective on, and obviously you are an external coach, so, um, but w when should companies think about, uh, you know, what, what's a good time to maybe only, or, or not only, but maybe to use an internal resource versus when it's really better to bring in someone like you from the outside? Internal resources, from my experience, were great when you want to embed a coaching culture, if you will. 
So when you want your leaders to use some of the same approaches that I use as a coach on a day-to-day basis, having internal coaches to help facilitate that and you know lead workshops and trainings can be great to help you know give them the tools and, and keep those tools up to date. The other thing that internal coaching resources are great for are you know facilitating meetings and workshops and coaching. And again, it might not fall under the the guise of individual one-on-one executive coaching, but um, I've seen and firsthand examples where having an internal you know, coaching resource or resources who can do that facilitation in a group setting where they're already familiar with a lot of the different personalities and resources and challenges of the company, um, that is great. If it is being taken advantage of by leaders within the company, um, because I've seen some great internal resources, but you know, leaders don't necessarily lean on them, even though they're right there. So if companies are taking advantage of it, uh, I think it's great to build up that you know, that, that, that talent within the organization. Um, and again, it doesn't have to just be under the coaching umbrella. I've seen it work well in my former employee employer from an innovation standpoint, there was a big push and investment to, you know, bring an innovative culture into the company and have innovative training. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, give internal people the tools needed to facilitate meetings and workshops. And that's where I find the internal resources to work best. The one-on-one coaching, though, typically relies a little bit more on you know trust and transparency and being open, and it's just much more difficult for people to open up to an internal resource. No matter how great they are, there's always going to be this question. And and again, I don't I don't think I need to blather on about that. It's probably somewhat obvious for people, but you know you're much more inclined to open up to somebody who is clearly clearly there to, to you know help you put it bluntly sometimes look good. You know, I'm there to help you. I'm there to support yeah. you. I'm not, I'm not there as a tattletale. And, and if I ever, you know, came across as that, well, that's, you know, that's going to damage my reputation as a coach pretty darn quickly. And, uh, you know, I, I won't be, I won't be getting too much work. So, um, so yeah, clearly I'm, I'm a bit biased, but, uh, when it comes to leading workshops and stuff, I find that internal resources can be much more effective, efficient, and, and quite frankly, from a budget standpoint, uh, you can get a lot more bang for your buck. And you hit on something there a little bit when um, when you are thinking about an internal versus an external coach. I think the ability to expect vulnerability and openness and candor um, with an external coach might be higher. Like you said, um, they may be more hesitant to try to, to, to really be open to really share what they think if, if they suspect right rightly or wrongly that you know like you said that this is this is going to get back somewhere and this gets to a larger issue in the world of executive coaching around uh, typically it's the company who is paying for the coach to come in and work with an individual um, for the most part um, so you you have an obligation to the company as a coach or, or a company that's being contracted to do some coaching you have an obligation um, to, to get some results and to share progress with the company, but you also have an obligation as a professional coach um, from an ethical standpoint to maintain confidentiality. Um, sometimes there's friction in that space. Mm-hmm. I wonder how you, how you think about that um, to kind of honor both of those things. Yeah. The best way to cut through some of that sometimes is to get very clear on what the ultimate objectives are of coaching. And, you know, it's easy to say, well, it's just about improving an individual's performance or, you know, helping that individual again, you know, build up tools and and improve communication or whatever it might be. But when you focus on the bigger goals for the organization, you know, bottom line results, impacting, you know, 
all of the, the stakeholders and employees, if you will, of a specific leader, it's a heck of a lot easier to not get hung up on, you know, you know, individual things that a leader might be uncomfortable sharing or some of the, you know, confidentiality stuff. It's like, it doesn't matter. Let's jump to the ultimate goal and let's not get so hung up on sharing things. I, you know, it, it's, I mean, that's, you can argue that's a problem with our world, right? Is getting hung up on, on these intermediate steps and, you know, tips and tricks and, and, you know, minor character flaws, whatever it is. But the more you can Focus on, all right, what's the ultimate goal? It isn't just to impact this one leader. It's to impact the whole organization. And this is an investment that a company is making to impact, you know, dozens, if not hundreds or thousands of people, not just this one individual. And once you got, once you have that buy-in, it's, it's a whole lot easier to not, you know, I'm going to say not worry, but, you know, to, to not get, not get caught up on, on sweating the small stuff. And, you know, you might say something and, and, you know, it's easier for me to kind of dismiss it and say, look, I'm not, you know. I want to anonymize, you know, case in point, uh, give you an example, 360 degree feedback, right? It's a very common part of any coaching, but there are times where it's done ineffectively because it might just be a survey that's sent out to 25 people. And, you know, they're, they're, you know, cautious sometimes about what they say, or maybe they do go ahead and they're, they're honest and they fill out the scores and the color and they write some comments. But I've seen examples where, you know, 20 to 25 people Take, take it seriously. They fill out this 360 degree feedback form for the individual that's about to be coached. And then what does that individual do? Well, they see all these results and they spend their time trying to align. All right. Well, I wonder who said what and all mm-hmm. of this. And just like, oh, you know, this is, this is the complete opposite of how it should go, which is why when I do my 360 degree feedback, I can still get you know, very clear objective data and, and even some, you know, numerical stuff. I'm still an engineer, so I still like to have some data that I can establish a baseline with. But, you know, I'm synthesizing that and I'm sharing it so that, you know, this anonymous form really stays anonymous and these people don't get hung up on, you know, you know, person A and person B and what it might be and individual stuff. No, this is, you know, this goes way beyond that. Um, so again, it's just saying, look, it, this isn't just about you as an individual. This is about achieving results for everybody. So, you know, I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to use that, that information to my advantage, and I'm not going to let you go down some, some path, uh, you know, to, to just try to, you know, game the system and figure, you know, you're going to do it on your own. You know, I want the, I want the raw data. Well, look, I'm all for transparency and everything, but, um, you know, if that's the path you're going to take and you're going to try to use that in, in a way that it's not intended to be used, then again, we're going to have some issues. So, yeah. uh, so again, yeah, I've, I've always felt like the partnership aspect is so important. It's really a partnership between the individual taking ownership of their own development, a person like you or an external coach coming in with real expertise to help them uh, get better, but also the organization, their, whether it's their boss or an organizational sponsor that has um, the ability to really help them drive and sustain their development over time, creating that partnership on the front end and uh, aligning around the rules of engagement, the expectations, the ultimate goals, um, doing that well on the front end tends to, I think, mitigate a lot of the issues that can come when it's when it's maybe not done that way. And one of the other things I wanted to get with you, uh, get your perspective on is executive presence. You hear this, it's one of those things that uh, I see come up a lot on coaching requests. Um or individuals uh, either on their own or someone's told them or they've gotten feedback from a survey or something that they, they, they need to work on their executive presence. It's one of those things that probably has a thousand different definitions out there, but we see it a lot. I wonder if you could share with us what you're seeing. Uh, you know, how do you define executive presence? And then how are you seeing that show up kind of both negatively and positively in the world of work? 
<laughs> sure. I mean, obviously, in the world that we're in, in the energy yeah. industry, it's much like sustainability, right? You know, hundreds of different definitions of sustainability, and and uh, you know, it, it's not you know, it's not always easy to build a consensus on what it is. Uh, for me, though, executive presence, I think probably the number one thing today is is confidence, and I would say awareness. I, I think you know, again, you could spend an hour uh, talking about it. Um, you know, you can obviously take the, the easy route and just say, you know what, it's, it's one of those, you know, it when you see it kind of things, but, um, I think, it, you know, confidence and then awareness and, you know, being able to demonstrate that now in terms of, you know, the, the challenges and, and positives and negatives regarding executive presence, we are in an industry where we don't have any shortage of confident leaders. You know, there are, there are plenty of overconfident leaders, right? So I, I think just boiling executive presence down to confidence, um, isn't enough, right? Mm. Especially in this day and age where you need a little bit more like nuance at times and, you know, more again, awareness going back to the name of the company, right? You know, you want a, you want somebody who is, is conscious, who is witting, who is aware of what's going on and, and can kind of connect the dots. So, um, that's why I say awareness is probably number two. Um, and you know, the, the other thing that, that comes with executive presence sometimes is, you know, people try to over-engineer it at times, right? You know, because you can't always put your finger on it. It's easy to go down a path and look for gimmicks and say, all right, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to come across in this board meeting and I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to boost my executive presence. Well, you know, how the heck are you going to do that? Right. Um, and you know, that's where as cliche as it might sound and you could practice those things, right? If I'm having a conversation with somebody that I'm working with, and I can be, I can be honest with them. I say, look, you know, we're gonna have a conversation here and I'm going to focus on executive presence and I'm going to give some feedback and, you know, give you observations when I thought you maybe were lacking a little bit and you came across as less than confident, less than aware, less than articulate, which of course is also another characteristic. And I'll point out sometimes when you were good and I might not, you know, specifically say it's when you did X or Y, but again, because we're, it's, it's one of those feeling kind of things. I could say, look, it's when you were talking about X, Y, Z, that's when you were demonstrating it. And kind of flip it on the person I'm working with to say, huh, well, when I was in that zone, you know, I was whatever, I, I was drawing on a conversation that I had with one of our vendors. And, you know, you know, why is it that my executive presence kind of came to light during that time? And, and that tends to be a lot more powerful than trying to figure out some specific formula for, you know, for having the most executive presence of any yeah. of the up and coming leaders within your company is just, you know, finding those moments and then allowing the person that you're coaching to try to figure out, all right, what was going through my head? Why was I able to, uh, you know, to, to exude that feeling? So um, that's the approach I take is just is practice, have a conversation and, you know, I'm going to sit back and, and observe basically. That was, that was a very cool little, little snippet you shared with us. I think our listeners just got a nice little window into uh, a small part of what a coaching conversation can look like. And, and some people sometimes confuse advice giving with coaching. And what, what we just heard from you is, is, is not advice giving. It's holding up a mirror, uh, helping the individual that you're coaching unlock insights for themselves so that they can be aware of those going forward and improve. Not Joe saying, do X, Y, and Z, and now you will have uh, unshakable <laughs> executive presence that never fails you. That, that, that was a really cool uh, demonstration. Now, staying on that topic of executive presence, I, I'm interested because our, our our interactions with each other have been largely remote over the last 18 months. I know a lot of uh, companies in the industry have gone back to the office uh, over the summer, many of them. Um, but there aren't as many or there haven't been as many opportunities to engage with the people we work with, with our industry peers, with the people we need to influence 
in person, um, where oftentimes we really um, get a chance to demonstrate our executive presence or use that that presence um, for impact. Now it's all being done through a screen. Uh, how have you seen the impact of that play out for executives? Yeah, it, it's tough, right? Because articulation, as I said, is very important. Getting your message across and and demonstrating that you can convey a message, you can synthesize things. And when you're not in person, or uh, you know, when you're you're remote on a Zoom meeting with you know your board of directors, and you're trying to you know slip a joke in there, and you have no real sense of how it's landing, uh, that's that's tough. The inability to read a room as easily as you could before is really tough. So. One of the things that I've, uh, you know, encouraged some of the people that I'm working with to do, and, and that has you know, proven to be successful, is to find those opportunities for one-on-one phone calls. The old traditional phone call, not over Zoom, you know, not, not a long-winded email, none of that. Picking up the phone or, or reaching out to, again, I think a board is a good example, right? Because that those interactions tend to be more, um, you know, formulaic and in certain environments. And now that those environments aren't there, the ability to, you know, touch base with say, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the head of a particular committee on your board, you know, this is more, obviously more C-suite type folks and say, Hey, you know, can I give you a call? I, you know, and I have a question or two. It's a great way to disarm these people and to show that you're genuinely interested. And quite frankly, it's more efficient. It saves energy. It saves time. And again, this doesn't just have to be with, you know, uh, boards of directors. It could be with anyone, but having that, that, just quick conversation. It also shows that, you know, you're, you don't want to waste their time. Right. And you don't want to come across as unnatural because another thing I'll I'll say about executive presence and probably, you know, communication and articulation in general is that when we were mostly in person, one of the ways to really connect with folks and show that you're a little bit different is to go out of the box and maybe send a, a personalized note or, you know, an email that you normally wouldn't send because you could have just walked up to somebody and said something and, and it kind of flips the script. Well, now that we're all remote, you know, it's, it's not like you can easily flip the script and just walk into somebody's office and talk to them. So, mm. um, you know, one of the things I encourage is to, again, avoid these p- potential gimmicks, right? Um, a, a lot of people come across as unnatural because they, you know, they're trying to latch on to these cool things and way to communicate their message when, Quite frankly, the easiest thing, Ryan, is pick up the phone, have a quick conversation, ask a couple questions, and then hop off. And that's a great way to demonstrate, again, your ability to think, your ability to connect things together, and your ability to not waste the minimum 30 minutes for, you know, for a, for a Zoom call or a meeting. So um, again, some tips and tricks there. None of them are going to work in all situations, but uh, it all comes down to the question of how might I communicate my message more effectively and demonstrate to the people that need to see me that I can articulate my message and the message of the company. Yeah. And I, I think that gets to authenticity as well. I think sometimes uh, people who may feel like they need to really demonstrate or over demonstrate executive presence um, can start to try to play the role of what they think an executive looks and sounds like. And uh, when, when people see you acting in a way that's not consistent with your character, your personality, um, that can come off as, as phony mm-hmm. um, and can, t- can turn people off. Uh, Mike Stice, who was uh, the, the first guest we had on the show, who's in a, uh, one of the teachers at, at OU and, and their business school, longtime industry veteran, and he talked a lot about the importance of really knowing yourself well and, and being authentic. And, and I don't think being authentic 
and demonstrating executive presence are mutually exclusive. But if 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 your presence isn't authentic, it, it can work against you, right? <laughs> yeah, and I'll, and I'll say and I'll say I'll say this, Ryan. You know, being present in many cases requires you to avoid distractions. And when again you're on a Zoom call, you have extra distractions. When you know you're in different settings, you have these distractions. So that's where a phone call can be beautiful, right? It's just it you avoid so many of those extra distractions and it's a chance for people to see you and feel you and experience you being present. And when you're present and when they're present and you, you have that connection, now is your time to demonstrate some of the, you know, again, unquantifiable and, and difficult to explain elements of who you are as a leader. So get rid of those distractions, get rid of your, your fear of picking each and every word, you know, whether your, your company's using Slack or email or, or whatever, you know, messaging system you're using, get rid of all those distractions and worries and just have, going back to our conversation about OTC and NAEP, have a normal human conversation. And you're going to find that, you know, you're authentic self, as you said, is going to much more easily flow than it would otherwise. Yeah. And one of the things that you, I know you and I both believe in strongly that executives who do this well, um, successful executives tend to seek out feedback intentionally and routinely. Um, they don't shy away from it. And I know that's a big part of the coaching process is helping people uh, really become more open to feedback and, and providing feedback to them. Um, I want I want you to talk a little bit about uh, before we wrap up just about the importance of executives seeking out feedback and how that can really be beneficial to the, not only their own personal development but their effectiveness as a leader. Uh, well, again, it, it's critical. Uh, I, I don't think I need to expand on why it's critical, um, but I think it's also difficult because typically the higher up you move, the more challenging it is to get good, authentic, honest feedback from people. Uh, so the question that I usually have folks ask is. How might you disarm the people that you want to get feedback from? And, and that's key, right? You know, you're the, the higher up you go, there's a tendency for people to be more guarded and to not share. So the question is, what are all the ways that you can disarm folks? And, you know, one of the most effective ways I find is to ask for feedback over drinks. That's, uh, that, that's probably the number one most uh, used tactic. But, you know, the number two thing, maybe going back to some of the things I talked about, was to frame the question, to frame the request for feedback in terms of higher level goals, company goals, company objectives. You know, if I asked you, hey, you know, you know, what do you think would help us move closer to, you know, again, whatever our objective is. Um, and, you know, you go down that path first and now, okay, we're talking about high level stuff. You take me as a leader out of the equation. You don't have to worry about offending me necessarily because we're, we're talking about different things. We're talking about a project, you know, a nameless, faceless project instead of me. And if you start the conversation there, now you can slowly work backwards. And even without the person that you're requesting feedback from you know, saying you specifically and calling you out, they can give you a ton of insight into the things that you're doing or not doing as a leader that are screwing things up. So again, disarm them by making them, you know, not even realize that they're, they're actually talking about you. And, um, and again, you can keep peeling back the onion, uh, you know, even if you don't have a couple drinks in you or they don't have a couple <laughs> drinks in them, you can, you know, you can, you know, work backwards towards you and your personalities and your behaviors that might be limiting you. But, um, but again, the more you can focus and, say, uh, distract them, if you will, um, the easier it is to, to get closer to that authenticity, to let their guard down, to get them talking. And then from there, obviously, you can, can just start asking questions. All right, well, you know, how might I help the project? Or more to the point, you know, you know, how might I help you, Ryan, do your job better? Once you're at that point, I mean, they're going to give you an answer, right? 
If I asked you, hey, is there anything else I could do for you? You're going to say, oh, no, I'm fine. You're doing a great job. But if I say, how might I help you? What can I do to help you? You know, that, that gets you thinking, right? You're, you're, you're less inclined to just dismiss me. You're going to come up with something, especially if I've already, you know, softened you up a little bit. And, and again, um, you know, maybe taken off some of that, uh, some of that armor and some of that fear that you might have just, uh, you know, out of the, the natural uh, tendencies between leaders and, and their stakeholders. Yeah, good, good stuff, Joe. And boy, this time has just flown by. And before I let you go, I've got one more question for you. I want you to think about, well, maybe look into your crystal ball a little bit. Um, 2022 and, and beyond, what are some of the emerging challenges that you see bubbling up now that, that the leaders in the industry are really going to have to get their hands around going forward? Most of the challenges that I'm seeing right now that will definitely continue and will definitely get more challenging are all around communication. You know, with all of the, the messages and social media and, you know, the ESG focus and the energy transition and consolidation and, you know, the, <laughs> the great resignation that you talked about a couple mm -hmm. episodes ago, yeah. all of those things coming together. There's a lot of the people that you need to speak with, your audience, your stakeholders, and they're hearing all these things. And it's tough for your message to come across clearly. So there's going to be a big push for leaders to, again, as, as we mentioned a couple of times already, articulate their message get it across and do it in an effective way as possible and cut through all of the competing messages and, and competing um, agendas and, and things that are going to steal focus and attention from the people that you need to communicate with. So, uh, so that's it. That's by, by far the number one challenge that I see is communicating whatever strategy you have, whatever strategy your organization has and, and making sure it sticks comes across as authentic and the people that hear it can actually take some action uh, when you when you are requesting them to do something or when you require them to do something. Great, Joe. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been so fun. Uh, this is the first time we've had you on. It won't be the last. I can assure you that. Uh, really enjoyed our time together today. Thank you, man. My pleasure, Ryan. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you listeners for tuning in again. We appreciate it. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you haven't done that yet. And uh, please leave us uh, a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you access your show. If you want to learn more about Joe and Winning Partners, there'll be a link in the show notes. Uh, also, if you want to listen to his podcast, which I highly suggest you do, uh, it's called The Energy Detox. We'll also put uh, a link to, to his show as well so you can learn more from Joe. And we'll be back soon with another show. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, take care. Tune in next week for another enlightening episode of Journey to the Energy C-Suite, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.